Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey guys, this is Dave Walker with the Falcoholic Podcast. Uh, had the opportunity to speak with Mike Rothstein, the ESPN reporter for the Atlanta Falcons, after the Falcons season came to a close. Uh, it was a long interview, hour and a half, so we're dividing this one up into two parts. Uh, this first part will be 30 minutes and touch on a lot of subjects, including Arthur Smith and how he did in his first year with the Falcons. So enjoy this first part of our interview with Mike Rothstein. This is the Falcoholic Podcast. I'm Dave Walker. I'm keeping this intro short because... I'm preparing to not be disrupted by the disruptive but great Michael Rothstein, ESPN reporter for the Falcons, Wait, who joins us again. <laughs> I couldn't let you do it. You, you, only because you said it, man. Only because you said it. <laughs> it's been too long, man. I, I'm sorry. I, I wanted to have you on sooner, but it feels like once the season, and I'm sure you can relate to this, once the season gets going, it feels like it's just this machine that just cranks you out and you're just sort of doing each week and doing each week and how was your first how was your first year your, your first year covering the Falcons Michael yeah I, I yeah by the way no what it really becomes is it for me at least it's every day feels like a like a year and every week feels like a day it's it's a weird it's it's a weird phenomenon that I've found whenever I've since I've covered the NFL because it wasn't like that when I covered colleges uh, specifically college basketball because the, the scheduling is so different. But when I've covered football and only football, uh, it's always kind of been like that. First season was good. I, I enjoyed my my time. Uh, I enjoyed getting to know some people. Uh, I enjoyed covering mediocre football because that's what it was. <laughs> and, hey, that's a, that's a step up from what I've covered the last three seasons. So <laughs> I'll take it. But no, it, it was it was fine. I, I thought I was able to tell some stories that were interesting and different, which is really the only thing. I, when I say mediocre football, it doesn't matter to me all that much if the team wins or loses. I care more about the storylines and whether people are willing to talk. And, uh, at, you know, at least from the standpoint of some people being willing to talk and share their stories, uh, you know, Josh Rosen stands out. And obviously his, you know, his trajectory is kind of what it is right now uh, and mm. who knows what that's going to look like in the future and Arthur and Terry were both really gracious with time with their time with me uh, as as well as their families through different points of the year and oh, wow. uh, some people some people around AJ Terrell so I, I was grateful for that and, and I'm always appreciative of that because no one has to talk to you and, and that's kind of one of those you know I guess things that technically they do have to talk to you uh, they're contracted to you but there's a difference between talking to you and then being able to really open up, being willing to share. And, you know, I think I've said this before, like access to the players was not great this year. Everything right. was uh, in scrums. Nothing. I didn't have a one-on-one. -on -one, I didn't have a one-on-one -on -one interview with a 
Falcons player, at least that was set up as a one-on-one interview, just because of the nature of the beat and sometimes just not many people being around on a given day, especially because of Georgia's success. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were occasionally one-on-one interviews, but very rarely did I have a one-on-one interview with a player. Uh, actually, the two that I had this year, neither, at least in the regular season, neither one of them were with the Falcons. They were with other teams. But So that makes it a little bit difficult to tell some of the stories that I told when I was in Detroit that maybe some people were expecting, but I, I found other ways to do it. And, you know, that's just part of the job. And, and luckily, like I said, Arthur and Terry were, were gracious with their time. Terry and his family talking to me about the plight of their hometown, Lake Charles, where Terry's parents mm-hmm. still live. And, uh, and Arthur talking to me about a multitude of subjects, but notably uh, one story I still haven't written yet, but then that I'll, I'll write in the offseason, but notably uh, about his sisters and, and their hmm. success and being produ- producers in Hollywood, one of them having produced La La Land. So he gave me, he was oh, wow. kind of gracious enough a couple of times. Yeah, that ran in November. Uh, I think November. I think it was November, October, November, sometime in the middle of the season that ran. And, you know, it, but all that, get, you know, a lot of times it gets lost in the, in the cycle, like you said, the of the season. So yeah. sometimes people miss certain stories and I try to bring them back again toward the end of the year. And uh, yeah, I know, but it was, I thought it was a good season. I was happy with, with how it went from my perspective, from, from being able to do my job. And well, I'm excited to see kind of what year two brings. It's it, this off season should be really interesting, much like I think last off season was. Uh, although that was, you know, jumped in kind of midway through, mm-hmm. but um, I'm really curious to see what this free agency looks like. I think they have some real big questions to answer in terms of who they're going to resign, who they aren't, and what guys maybe they're going to move on from that are on the roster, but how many of those guys can you really move on from? Because they, as of right now, I mean, they added 17 players yesterday as futures guys, but other than that, they had 27 guys on the roster as of, yeah. you know, well, technically they still have more, but realistically, like going into the new league year, you have 27 guys contracted that are not under futures deals for next year. So, yeah, it's a question of how much can you do that versus not, and some of the the bad, the really bad contracts that that they were hamstrung with, and uh, you know, I, I know that that's to me that's an issue, and that will be an issue. And, and Terry Fontenot hinted at it. He talked on Tuesday, and I actually asked him, "Well, how's this going to differ this year versus last year, and what you had to do?" And he said that they're still going to be under cap constraints. And anyone who looks at mm-hmm. the roster understands that because they have a few really big salaries for guys that probably are not deserving of that. And they are going to have tough decisions to make between now and March. Yeah. You mentioned that it's uh, I think people forget Julio Jones counts 15 million or actually, I think it's almost 16 million towards the 2022 cap. Cause he has that dead money hit that they uh, pushed off from the post June 1st uh, trade. And yeah, they still have dead is- money on I'm going to get the exact number for you now, but they, they still do have dead money tied in Julio. Uh, yeah. But by the way, I just, you know, to, to point that out. So for next year, Julio, he's still on their cap for, uh, let's see. Yeah, over the cap uh, is saying 15.5 million. Yeah, 15.5 for that's Julio a, next year. But that's a big chunk point, of change. It is, but here's the thing, right? You had to move on. You, you had to move on. From Absolutely. To move on. And if you look at it, uh, you know, I, I mean, I remember, I don't remember if I did your show after that or not, but 
I certainly wrote it and I certainly did radio things about it that I thought that was the best the Falcons could have done. Mm-hmm. And I think they ended up when you look at it, considering Julio's year, I think that was the best that the, the Falcons, I think won that deal. Now we'll see what they do with their draft capital. Right. Sure. But in terms of the money you would have been paying Julio for the production that Julio did not have, he once again dealt with injuries. That's what two, three seasons in a row now. So yep. once you hit Julio's age, uh, you when you're getting hurt every year, you don't magically not get hurt anymore. It just doesn't happen. So I think that was a really shrewd move by Arthur and Terry to to make that trade. And I had said that at the time that listen, like this was the best they could have done. Yeah, they're going to lose a really talented player, but it's a really talented player who didn't practice a lot last year. And yeah. A, a really talented player who barely played this year. Now, he, who knows who he might end up going to the Super Bowl. We'll see because, of, you know, he's on Tennessee and Tennessee's the number one seed. And, you know, maybe he has a brilliant playoff run and that would be really great for Julio Jones. But Julio Jones had a had a bad year this year, like by, mm-hmm. by all stretches. I mean, he's worse. Just, yeah, by, by far. I mean, he, he played in 10 games. But he had 31 catches for 434 yards. Like that was his season, and that was the only year that was even comparable to that was when he played five games. Two thousand thirteen. Two thousand thirteen, and, right. and arguably last year when he only played in nine and, and had seven hundred and seventy-one yards. Like that's that that's rough. He only had one touchdown. That's the fewest of his career. He had forty-eight catches. That's the fewest of, or sorry, forty-eight targets. The fewest of his career. Thirty-one catches. The fewest of his career. Like it ended up being a good move for for the Falcons to move on from Julio Jones when they did. As much as fans were really angry at the time. But you have to sometimes look at the long view instead of just the short view. And, and yeah. I say that, I'm going to say that again probably a few times in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I pulled up over the cap just so I could see what the, the picture looks like for, for next year. And I want to I get bogged down in that because I feel like there's there's a lot to talk about that happened in this season. Um and I just want to ask you this because I have seen a wide, wide variety of opinions on Arthur Smith. And I listened to your podcast on Monday morning um, and you had a lot to say about some absurd <laughs> opinions out there. For those that are listening to this podcast, go listen to uh, Mike's podcast uh, uh, from the perch, uh, especially the one recorded after the game against the saints Um where he answers questions because he has a lot to say towards the end of that podcast. It's a good listen. Uh, definitely recommend it. Um, but Arthur Smith, uh, I have, I have literally had people directly tell me that he should be fired right now. And oh, after I've one year, too. yeah, it, it, it blows my mind. Um, and it, it, I've seen people who have you know a reasonable uh, take where they're like, it, it, it felt like he did what he could with the roster and others that feel like he overachieved. Where do you land in that spectrum? I know, I know you're not on the fire him spectrum. <laughs> no, oh, come on. No. I, I mean, I've covered disasters. Yeah, I've covered yeah. disasters. This was not that this was, I thought a really good coaching job. I, I made an argument a few weeks back that if they had somehow snuck their way into the playoffs, similar, frankly, to what Nick Sirianni did in Philly, mm-hmm. that if they had snuck their way in, I, I thought you could have made an argument for Arthur Smith to be coach of the year in the NFL. Now, I, realistically, 
does Zach Taylor or Mike Vrabel probably get that or Bill Belichick? Uh, yes, uh, I think so. I I voted for PW, PFWA. I don't know if we're allowed to disclose these or not, but I just will. I mean, I voted for Mike Vrabel for Coach of the Year from PFWA. And, like, but you look at what Arthur Smith did with the roster that he inherited, the salary cap issues they had. That team is not a deep team. It's not a particularly good team in a lot of positions. They were clearly flawed, and they cobbled things together. They beat the teams they're supposed to beat. What happens is, is that people, fans, very often forget what your expectation was before the season. Yeah. You get in this, and, and, and that's reasonable. Media does it too. But before the season, the expectation for this team was at the most 10 wins, I think, and at the least like three. Mm-hmm. And really, the reality was probably somewhere between seven and eight. Eight or seven, between seven and 10 and nine and, and eight, I think, were, were, were most people fell. And that was with Calvin Ridley. Yes. That was with uh, Mike Davis, who was productive. That was with more Dante Fowler, who was better than the Dante Fowler from a year ago. And none of those things happened. Calvin really didn't play. Mm -hmm. Dante Fowler had four and a half sacks this season and was not good in a lot of other times. And basically became a part-time almost pass rush only player by the second half of the season. Yeah. His snap counts dropped a good bit. In the Dramatically because he could, yeah. because he's not a good edge setter and mm-hmm. you know, people critique Steven means for all they want, all they want. Listen, he didn't produce a lot either, but they trusted him on the edge because they knew he could set the edge. The same thing with Brandon Copeland, same thing with James Fox and Adia Ogundeji, I think had the best season of any outside linebacker, which is a good thing if you're the Falcons, because he's your mm-hmm. one guy to me that you know is back for sure next year. So all of those things, seven and 10, not bad. Mm-hmm. Seven and two in one score games, you take that. You know, now some of those, were they lucky lucky or fortunate? We use that word. Yeah, they were. The, the Saints, the one against the Saints in New Orleans specifically. Because you know you don't, you don't get that big kind of break down the sideline by Cordero Patterson, and I don't know if you get in field goal range because New Orleans' defense is really good. We saw that again this right. past Sunday. So yeah, I thought it was a good coaching job uh, for what he had to work with. Fourteen P's had to work with. Like mm-hmm. it, it, you can't create pass rush out of thin air with guys that you have. And then uh, by the way, also no one expected Isaiah Oliver to be particularly good in the slot. He ended up being. Very good in the slot, and then they lost him. Right, and you wonder what the defense would have looked like had he had him for the whole season, and and what that would have changed. I feel like Richie Grant and Jalen Mayfield actually were in very similar positions this year, in that they were being asked at one point in the year to do something that they were not maybe drafted to do. And in Jalen Mayfield's case, I think that was go out and try and play tackle because they didn't know it was going to happen in Caleb McGarry's case in camp, mm-hmm. and they needed to be prepared. And then I think that stunted his growth at guard. And then Josh Andrews gets hurt, and he's not supposed to even start at guard. And then, you know, he ends up starting base. He plays every game, you know, except for the last one because he's hurt. Mm. Like, okay, I mean, but that's you're, – you're playing a rookie there, and rookies are up and down on the offensive line. Uh, they are. And, again, a third-round pick, not a first-round pick. Richie Grant yeah. was your second-round pick. But no one – you should not have expected Richie Grant to play a lot because 
of who they had in front of him as vets. And Isaiah Oliver was a strong nickel. And, and they were working Richie Grant really at safety and, and some at nickel. And then when Isaiah Oliver gets hurt, you have to scramble. And all of a sudden, you're playing three rookies. That's what people don't get. There were three rookies who basically were their nickels this year. A second-round pick in Richie Grant, a fourth-round pick in Darren Hall, and a fifth-round pick in Avery Williams. Avery Williams was spent like Avery Williams was probably going to be the guy before the season. That you're like he's going to get the second most playing time behind Kyle Pitts because of he's going to win the returner job at least the point right. and have a major role on special teams. Like Darren Hall, to me, I mean, remember he was inactive when everybody was healthy, and mm-hmm. he was a guy that I think they were going to maybe start to play in the second half of the season as like a special teamer and they needed him. And I thought he acquitted himself well to the point where it's going to be really interesting to see whether he wins that job opposite AJ Terrell next year. So like yeah. all of these things, right. I know we're, we're covering a lot of ground, but all Absolutely. of these things to me are like, you got to understand, like when you look at the wins and losses, sure. I, and listen, I'm not saying Arthur Smith's a perfect coach. Not, not the slightest. Like they, there's some time management, game management things that I, I left me scratching my head. There were some sort of, you know, personnel decisions that left me confused. Mm-hmm. But from a scheme, scan, I mean, there were sometimes that they felt kind of predictable. But also, again, you look at what they had to work with on offense. And, I mean, are you going to throw to Tajay Sharp 10 times a game? No. <laughs> you had two guys on your team, real, realistically, by midseason, you had two guys on your team that you feel comfortable targeting eight or more times a game. And that's Kyle Pitts and Russell Gage. You mm-hmm. couldn't even count on car- targeting Cordell Patterson eight times a game. Yeah. You could, but it, when you start using him as a full-time running back, like there's only so many touches you can give him. And we saw that towards the end of the year where, in my opinion, he got beat up a little bit because he yeah. never played that much. He'll never admit it, but he, he didn't play that much. And you saw it in the production in the last few games. Yeah, I mean, for he 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 talked on Monday, and it was mentioned that he only had four carries in the finale, and he was like, "Really, only four? Like, which to me tells me, well, you know, I, he's like, yeah, then he's like, well, I'll play whatever they want. And he had a decent amount of snaps, but that to me tells me how like his body had been through a lot that year. Yeah. If he doesn't realize he only had four carries. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And he's 32. I think people forget he's he's on the opposite side of 30. So, yeah, no, he's I mean, he's an older guy like he he to me is is a very fascinating free agent decision Mm -hmm. for the Falcons. And and we'll see what they do. Um, But, yeah, because he'll be 31 in March and he doesn't have the, the, the wear and tear that other guys do. Right. But he's still over 30. And for a running back, that's old. For a receive a speed guy that's old, and you know we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah. you know you look at it. So you look at his snap counts from from game to game, from year to year, right? 
This was the third highest snap count he had played in his career, highest since 2016 in terms of offense. It's the first time he's played over 25% of offensive snaps since 2017 when he played 43% against Oakland. He played 22% in New England, then played 19% in Chicago in 2019 and in 2020. Like, that's, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, in one season in Atlanta, in one season in Atlanta, he has already – had this, he, he had the second most snap counts of his snap snaps of his career with the team. Like, now granted, he's bounced around a little bit, but I mean that's that's what you're looking at when you're looking at at Patterson and what it what it's been for him. And I mean that's just kind of the reality of what you're looking at is that it's a lot. It's just yeah. a lot. In I mean I don't know. I, I thought he played really well for, for what they wanted him to do, but, you know, he, uh, can you count on that again next year? I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I, I really don't. And I'm not being, like, facetious in that. I, I just really do not know the answer to whether you can count on that totally. Like, yeah. I mean, here, 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 here's the truth. Especially, so here, his snaps, since we're getting into this a little bit, he – his snaps every game except for – there were two games where he had under 20 snaps this year on offense. There were the game against Dallas where he got hurt, mm-hmm. and then the finale. Everywhere yeah. else, he has had a minimum of 23 snaps. In this back half of the season, other than those two games I mentioned, his minimum was 25 snaps. And he had over 30 for three straight games when they were still in it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a lot, especially in the like the back half of the year. And those last four games, his productivity really seemed to fall off. Except, I think he he did okay in Buffalo. I think he had over like forty or fifty yards, um, but it seemed like the last four games or so, his his productivity sort of took a major major hit. And okay. to your point. Uh, for a guy that's heading into his age 31 year. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the big thing here is like, if you bring him in for a million, like that's a different conversation than if you're paying him 5 million a year. And that's the kind of decision-making that Terry Fontenot is going to have to make with the the tight salary cap is quarter Patterson at 31. Um, is he going to be able to last 17 games with that, with a high snap count? And is he worth four to five million, whatever he's going to look for on the market. And I I think that's, to me, that I know fans want him back um, because he is, he's very entertaining. Um, But I think from a financial standpoint, he's one of the biggest wild cards, uh, I think, for this team right now. Without it, to me, this is just to me, but, and again, this is just me guessing and me, and me looking at this. If you bring Cordero Patterson back, you're probably moving on from Mike Davis. And you're, and you're and you're giving Cordero Patterson that Mike Davis money, and you're you're probably if I'm the Falcons at that point, I'm looking at drafting a running back somewhere and making that the guy because we know Arthur Smith wants to run the ball. That's mm-hmm. clear. We and without a good run game, what he wants to create is going to be much more difficult because he's not a pass. He's never been a highly pass oriented coach, and we even saw that this year. Right, like it, a lot of the past depends on play action and and, and this, you know what you're working with. So I look at that and I say, well, 
what do they need to do? Well, you you can't have your your running back group can't be Mike Davis, Cordero Patterson, and Quadriolis in the gap. It can't be. No. Now, could it be two of those three guys and a rookie who's maybe your number one back? Yes, I think it can be. Yeah, but it can't be those three guys. Yeah, like I, I, I it just can't. I, I, and that's not a knock on any of those players. Mike Davis admitted it on on, on social media, he called it the, the worst year of his career, and it was. And he, he was frustrated, and and it's really, I mean, Mike Davis was was a pleasure to talk to, but from a product, and he was honest when he said, "Yeah, I'm not producing like I want to." He would say that throughout mm-hmm. the course of the year, but. From a reality standpoint, when you're looking a team that's looking at the salary cap situation that they are, you have to make really difficult decisions, and they're going to have really tough decisions to make at a lot of spots. Yeah. And to me, a guy like Mike Davis, can you pay him the amount of money that that he's going to make next year? Which is not an let's be clear, it's not a massive, huge, insane amount, right? Like mm-hmm. let, let's just be very honest about that. But his cap number is three point two five million next year, and you're paying him two point five in base salary. Yep. Like, can you really? You know, you move on from him. It's seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and like in dead money. And at that point, I mean, that's two million dollars. That's that's possibly two one year contract veterans. That's maybe another running back. That's. Mm-hmm. Maybe a third to, to almost maybe half of what you might pay Patterson if you wanted to go that that route. So it, it's a tough conversation to have, and, and you know it's it's uncomfortable conversations to have because we're talking about guys' livelihoods, their jobs, their families. As we've seen the other day, when when so many coaches get fired and, and people you know celebrate coaches being fired, and, and listen, those are decisions a lot of times that are decisions that have to happen. But people always like I, I hate when I see people celebrate guys losing their jobs or getting fired because there's so many other th- factors that go into it yeah. from a livelihood standpoint and families and, and kids. Like, I mean, so I'll, I'll just share this. I mean, so Bob Quinn gets fired, right? In Detroit. Like I got to know Bob Quinn's kid, one of his, one of his kids a little bit, just because his kid works in the equipment room a lot. And I wrote, I spent a lot of time with the equipment staff and, uh, for a story I wrote in 2019, back when we had access to these sorts of things. And I, so I would see him and I would see him around the facility and, you know, we would talk and, uh, and say hi and we'd be friendly. Like, I felt terrible for that kid because it's not, he, A, he's around that facility all the time. He knows all those people, you mm-hmm. know, and it's not his fault. And then you go to school and, and, you know, you're hearing it at school. And then all of a sudden, you know, you don't know what the situation is when, your dad loses your job, his job. Well, am I going to have to pick up and move again? Yeah. Am I going to have to, you know, you know, and it's the same thing with players too. Like there are players who will move their entire family when, when they go from one place to another, a couple guys on the Falcons that, that have done that, that have bounced around a few places and take their families everywhere. And there are others that their family stays put and they basically live on their own for five, six months. It's, and either way, it's tough, but like that's just yeah. the reality of the NFL that, that a lot of people don't see it, don't think about, and it's just the truth, and it's hard. But, you know, people don't want to worry about that when they celebrate somebody being fired. And listen, a guy can be fired for performance all they want, and that's a fair assessment. But, like, chill on the, like, celebrating 
people being fired. Like I, I've always been yeah. cognizant, uh, or I would say like the last 10 years or so I've been cognizant of that. Yeah. It's, it's dehumanizing. Um, and, and I know the sport is just in general, sports can be just brutal in that aspect, but it doesn't mean we have to participate in it. Um, yeah. I didn't mean to get off on a thing there, but yeah, no, you know what? This is what just, I like it, about that's you. That's why when I see it, but, but also like have reality. I mean, I know I talked about this on my, on my show, but have reality when you're talking about moving on from a coach. Like there are people who want to fire Arthur Smith after four games. No, some of them are trolls on social media and, and you're like, you know, just what are you doing? Like, you yeah. do realize if you fire a coach after one year, A, that sends a mess, especially one who did what, the job that Arthur Smith did this year. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like he went one in 16. And, you know, and this, and it was supposed to be a 500 team. You're like, oh, wow, this is, this is bad. Like, no, I mean, you do realize that if you do fire a coach after a year, or even after two years, if it's not gone terribly, like the other coaches see that. They see mm-hmm. that because the the owner or the GM. Well, what does that mean? Why did that happen? Because maybe I don't want to go there if that's going to be the quick hook that I might have. Yeah. And also, it doesn't promote stability. Why do you think the good franchises are good, no matter who the coach is overall? I mean, look at Green Bay. Green Bay has th- cycled through a few coaches, and largely, when they have a down year, they have one down year, and then they're fine. Why? Because there's stability. In the coaches, there's stability in the players, there's stability in the program, and the coaches that they've had have built it to such where there is that stability. Mm-hmm. That's valuable. I mean, look at Pittsburgh. They've had three coaches, like, in the last – longer than both of us have been alive. Three. Yeah. Lions have had, like, three coaches in, like, the last five years. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, but, like, the Browns have – same thing. Like mm-hmm. at some Jacksonville, point, yeah, yeah. At some point, you need to move on. Like, uh, and Minnesota is a good example of that. Like Mike Zimmer, sure. I think, did well there, but it, you know, it, and Rick Spielman as well did well there, but it kind of ran its course, and that mm-hmm. happens. It happens for al- almost everybody, but you know, other unless it's that situation, that's fine. That was seven, eight, nine, with ten years, however long was he there? He was there, I guess, what seven years. Like that's it, a I thought it was longer than that, but yeah. Well, eight years then, whatever it was, like that, yeah. that's that's pretty good. So I look at that and I say, okay, that's fine. That's that like that's stability. Like you can't be firing coaches one or two years all the time because all you're going to get is you're going to have to cycle through a whole. You're going to have to roster churn, cycle through the whole roster, turn over most of the roster, and then what? Then you're going to fire that guy once he maybe gets his players. Come on. Like that, that's just, it doesn't make sense. It just, it, no, does it? like why I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like some people are saying it just to be controversial. Like what, yeah, what's yes. the, you know, like uh, why, what do you do? Why? All it does is just make you look silly. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. I, I just, that, but I've, you know, this because I've talked about it multiple times this year, whether I've talked about it on Twitter or talked about it on my podcast. Like, I just don't understand it, like, why why they're doing this. Like, I, and, and here's the thing. Atlanta fans can't even be mad anymore. Like, you're not – Atlanta fans, I'm sorry. You're no longer allowed to be mad. You just won the World Series. If you like Georgia, most like Georgia, you just won a college football national championship for the first time in 41 years. Your basketball team went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, you want to know who would love any of that success? 
Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Cleveland. Like, stop. Like, you're in a good run right now. Like, have some patience. Yeah. Yeah. What one year is not enough. Um, two years. I would argue two years isn't enough based off of the salary cap situation. No, they inherited a mess. Yeah, I don't think anyone I mean, would have said I think, differently. Yeah, I mean, you're. I think you're looking minimum three years, minimum, mm-hmm. and that's only if it goes really poorly. All right, guys, that's it for part one of the interview with uh, Mike Rosting, the ESPN reporter for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, as you can tell, a uh, lot of thoughts about this Falcons season, about the coaches. Uh, in part two, we will talk about the Falcons rookie class. Uh, we'll also talk about some of the uh, the big cap hits and decisions that the team may have to make about guys like Grady Jarrett and, yes, uh, Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan. Uh, so stay tuned for that. You can find Mike on Twitter, at Mike Rothstein, uh, and, of course, his articles at ESPN.com. And as for you guys, you can follow me on Twitter, at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast, at FalcoholicPod. And, of course, our articles daily, FalcoholicPod.com. This is Dave Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time. 